So here's the thing, entrepreneurs, leaders, salespeople, we all want to create consistent, repeatable, and scalable ways to grow our business and our income. And we want to do it better, faster, and more seamlessly. Why? So we can actually enjoy our lives, take vacations, and spend the quality time we want with the people that we love. How do we do all this without spending a fortune or running ourselves ragged? That's the big question, and this show is dedicated to the answer. Hey everybody, welcome on Facebook to This Week in Housing. Yes, new time, same day, but different day from a couple weeks ago. So I'm really excited about today's show. I've been looking at all the information that, uh, that David Childers from KCM has shared with us, and we're switching it up. I've been having coaches jump in and give us their perspective on the economy, on the information we're sharing. Today, from the East Coast and the West Coast, we have two team leaders of two extraordinary real estate agent practices. Uh, so let's do some quick introductions. So starting with Janelle Garrison from Orange County, California. Welcome to the show, Janelle. Thank you so much for having me, Tom. Pleasure to be here. Absolutely. Um, I am Janelle Garrison. I run a family real estate uh, group, uh, and mostly in a North Orange County area of Orange County, California. And um, we are a big business where we're at. Um, we'll do probably around 125, 130 transactions this year. Um, so definitely been very innovative and chose to really look at the pay really close attention to the market, how it's ebbed and flowed. Certainly these past six to eight months made a lot of different changes in our business to go along with that. So really happy to be here and share with all of you today. Yes. And for those out there watching, she's actually having a mom day today with her I kids. I am. And she snuck back <laughs> in the office to share her insights with you. So Janelle, thank you. And Mr. Tom Toole from, uh, from Philadelphia. So so Tom, give me a little background. Who's Tom Tool? Give us the size of your business, a little scope. Sure. So uh, my name's Tom Tool. Um, I'm the team lead at the Tom Tool Sales Group. Uh, we work the Philadelphia and Philadelphia suburban markets. Uh, year to date, we've got about 120, 25 million uh, settled and pending, 332 transactions, 331 right around there. And uh, we were the most restricted state in the country. Tom and I yes. talked about this. Like yes. this is, I think there's a lot to be learned here from the data that you're going to see on this show, because I get these questions all the time. We couldn't do anything. And it was for about 60 days. So, uh, you know, the, the perspective I got from, from what Tom had shared and what David's been doing in KCM has been invaluable in moving the needle forward once we were out of the real lockdown that we had with no in-person activities on, on May 20th. So I think it's an important distinction, you know, for all the listeners around the world that are be checking in with us live and then watching throughout the next few weeks, Tom, help them understand, like, Janelle, you know, you called me early and said, hey, I got a friend in Orange County and the local government, the whole thing's going to shut down. And you were right on. Tommy, you guys didn't reopen until, I mean, you couldn't go out and show a buyer or talk to a seller until May? May 20th is when the restrictions got lifted. And this I felt like I was like on a political campaign and I am not political, uh, but it was, and we, we had talked about this. So yes. we had no in-person activities for 60 days. And then they started to open the Western side of the state because they had this traffic light, but Philadelphia and the greater Philadelphia area where we work was still considered red. So we still couldn't do anything. And if you didn't know what was going on in the market or about past economic crashes like 2008 or a lot of the KCM stats where they talk about when housing prices went down, when they went up, 
you know, there's a lot of folks, they came out of the, the shutdown and they were flat footed. And, it, you know, there was, there was, but at the same time, there was a lot of people ready to transact. So if you don't know, if you're not the knowledge broker, and I mean like understanding the economy, understanding where your premium price point starts, this is stuff that got our team through this. And we're having our best year ever, despite no in-person activity for 60 days and some breakage and all the challenges people have gone through. So all the more reason to understand the economy and not just work in the market. I can't stress that enough. I mean, that saved our butt here. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Well, again, really excited you guys are both with us today. David Childers, Keeping Current Matters. We've been doing this now for a long, long time. So I think we should, David, because everybody knows you, let's just jump right in because we want to talk about today the economy. Some very interesting statistics around forbearance, and you guys created some slides that I requested, so I'm really excited for people to see this. And then we're going to talk about inventory, my friends. And I think most of you are sensing the same thing I'm sensing. How it is right now is how it's going to be for a while. What are we going to do about it? How are we going to use this data to be the knowledge broker, as Tom said, to be out there and active in the market, as Janelle said. So, David, let's talk about the overall content. Yeah, let's, well, let's do that. And, and Tom, you know, as you were talking, uh, Tom Tool, I was thinking about, you know, just the, it wasn't that long ago, right? When no matter where you're at, we were shut down. And so I want to give you a little perspective of the journey, economically speaking, that we've been on uh, over the last uh, several months. I'll share here. And this is a look here. You, you, you may remember that if, if you've been watching this week in housing uh, of total spending, consumer spending as compared to January 1st. So, you know, we took this deep uh, dive in April and you know, have kind of clawed our way back to where most recently uh, here in October, we're off 3.2% across the country in consumer spending. Very, very positive when we look at the economy. And, and Tom, again, you, you talked about being shut down for 60 days there uh, in Pennsylvania to, to go back to, hey, just you know, you know, several months later, being within striking distance of where we were in January, a very, very good thing uh, for consumers. Now, there's some interesting data that's come out relative to the consumer experience that I want to share with you through this. Now, as I share it, I, I don't want to certainly seem um, to be turning a blind eye to those that, that are that are challenged through this, because no doubt there are. But when we look at the holistic consumer their credit scenario has improved. The average U.S. FICO score across the country has risen. Um, in, a, in a recent Wall Street Journal article, we see that. And, and there are some specific reasons for that. I want to point this out, too. This is not people applying for home loans. This is not people that are you know, in the transaction right now. This is the average consumer has gotten stronger as we've gone through this. Now, the interesting thing is there's a specific reason for that. And the specific reason is uh, households it, it, during this time have used their stimulus checks uh, by and large to pay down debt and save money. Two thirds of consumers using the stimulus to, to pay down debt, save money, uh, about a third or 29% you see there in orange, spent the money and used that on uh, what they needed to, to continue their household and, uh, and uh, you, you know, make it through this. But, but most folks used it to strengthen their financial uh, situation. Now, I, I think as we look at that, go ahead. Let me just stop for a second. So, yeah. so Janelle, Janelle and Tom, when you look at those first three slides, you know, as a as you know, two of the most successful agent and team leaders 
in the country, arguably in the world. When you see all of that, what goes through your mind from a marketing standpoint, from a communication standpoint? You know, every, you know, this one where, you know, the world just said, hey, the world is over. We're going to die. You know, remember, remember, we're going to have a W. We're going to have the Nike swoosh. We had like 15 different variations. And at the end of the day, every major economist said it's going to be, it's going to be sharp and it's going to go back up. Janelle, what does this make you think? Well, I think with regards to that slide and the other slide, you know, there was, there was a moment of a halt, you know, and I think anytime you have a, a moment of halt in your life that causes you to truly reevaluate everything that you were doing and thinking, you go back and you have to come into mind as to what's truly important to you at the end of the day. If you're looking at it and you're in that moment of, oh my gosh, what if I lose my job? Oh my gosh, what if I can't pay my mortgage? And you start going through and thinking, well, geez, do I need to go to Starbucks every morning and get my $5 coffee? Do I need to go and, you know, keep an open Amazon account and just cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching the moment that I want to buy something? So I think it caused more a mental reevaluation in people's minds as to not only how they were going to spend their time because of adjusting to kids and school schedules and everything, how they were going to spend their money and truly what they were spending their money on. And at the end of the day, if this happened again, are they prepared for it? And if they're not, how do they get prepared for it? Right. Tom, thoughts? Amazing observations, number one by Janelle there. I love that. Um, what, what I've seen happen, I could say on, on, from a couple different perspectives, as like a parent with kids, seeing what that's like going back to school and then as a, as a local community agent, people are putting a lot more value on their homes now. Mm -hmm. That's where they're spending all of their time. So if they want to make a move and they want to make a move to a property where, you know, we've seen some people, they move to every two, three, four years. They're looking at making that move to a 20-year home and getting there a lot sooner because they don't like where they were locked down. Like if you had three kids and you're in a townhouse, you don't want to be there if you're stuck there 60 days. Like, I mean, that's what I saw happening more than anything. And to Janelle's point, People are living on budgets and realizing if they want that in their lives, they've got to pay off debt so their score can go up, so they can qualify for a jumbo loan if that's where they're going. I mean, jumbo loan 510, that probably does nothing in, in your market, Janelle. I mean, it mm -hmm. does a little bit here. So that sort of stuff, people are a lot more housing conscious because they know, hey, this is my only place I can go relax and hang out anymore. And who knows when that's going to change? Right. So before we jump back to this, David, I just want to give a shout out. So I see uh, a bunch of people checking in. Let us know, first of all, for your, if you're live with us right now on Facebook, let me know where you're from. And as always, tag one or two friends that you know that maybe have a negative perspective on the economy or a positive one, and you want to reinforce it, but maybe the negative one. And if you're watching this later and you're like, is that why my friend tagged me? you were tagged out of love, right? We want you to do better, especially if you're in this business. We need you moving forward powerfully and being the knowledge broker. So I wanna, I wanna see in the comments, where are you from? And tag a friend or two that might need to see this message later. Your broker, a buddy, a mortgage partner, et cetera. So David, I think this one is just fascinating. Yeah. I would have yeah. predicted that people's FICA scores because of you know the, the overwhelming things that we hear about forbearance, I was waiting to see that number go down, even just because of the five and a half, six million people that you know took advantage of forbearance. And, and yet when I saw this, I was blown away. 
I was absolutely, absolutely blown away. So let's let's jump back into the slides because the next slide, as an entrepreneur and a fan of entrepreneurs, this one blew me away, and I I need to I need to ask you about this one. So let's go back into it. Absolutely. So th this is a slide that. Uh, that Tom's talking about, it shows business applications across the US. And what you see here, the short answer is, they've skyrocketed this year. And why is that? I think simply put, you can say that this downturn is being defined by innovation. And businesses saying, hey, you know, we wanna go out and provide a product and service. We're able to go and do something to serve people through this downturn. I'm not saying there aren't businesses that aren't affected, but you know, we've talked before, if, if you're in the plexiglass business, gosh, you're, you're, you're having a, a banner year. If you're in the telemedicine business, you're having a banner year, just like our business, innovation, great entrepreneurs saying, I see opportunity, I'm gonna start a business, I'm gonna offer a service that meets the need of a consumer during this time. And we're seeing that play out in real time. Uh, you, you know, I, I clipped kind of a, a funny slide here to say, it's the best time ever to get braces. You can see this, this orthodontist here, Smith, uh, smile at the world, orthodontics, put this out there. What, what do people not want to do when they get braces? They don't want people to see the, their braces, you know, and, uh, you, you know, uh, now that we have to wear masks, it's the best time to get that. Nobody has to see that you have braces. So I think entrepreneurially speaking, Tom, we're seeing that spirit, you know, alive and well, and, and folks starting businesses, folks, you know, doubling down on in investments in businesses to, to be able to meet needs in today's market. I mean, I think, you know, all of us know as entrepreneurs, you know, the, the great Peter Drucker said, all businesses, innovation and marketing. But if you read deeper into most of the brands that we know today that we admire, right? Whether it's a Facebook started in a recession, whether it is, you know, Netflix, same thing. You could go through the Disney Corporation, Apple, some of the biggest companies in the world started in absolute hardship because they saw a problem that they were able to solve. So, I mean, so Tom, when you see this, does this shock you? What, what does that make you think? Like, should I have started a few more businesses? What's on your mind? Well, I, I mean, I was through this in 2008, right? Like, this isn't the first time I've been through something like this. And that's when we first got connected. And I really, you know, I was selling real estate before, but I feel like I was born as an agent then. And you look at people have to pivot now. I mean, look at some of the stocks that have risen, like Peloton stock is through the roof. Um, that's one example. People aren't going to gyms anymore. So there's more of those companies that are looking for the at-home experience. And there's a lot of tech disruption right now. So it makes a lot of sense because there's new business plans available that wouldn't have been viable in January or February. 100%. Janelle, how about yourself? I mean, you have a lot of friends that are entrepreneurial when you see that. I mean, look at that is a you know, for my friends watching, that is a massive spike. I mean, this is, this is enormous. What goes through your mind? Well, you know, I think I come from a little different perspective. I mean, being in California, there's obviously a lot of other things of consideration of cost of living in the state of California. So truly, you know, seeing those graphs don't utterly shock me because we have a lot of people that are looking for opportunities to start their businesses or don't necessarily need to go into buildings anymore that yeah. can be more mobile um, and that can take advantage of living elsewhere or they're already at home, which let's face it, if you're put in a totally different environment, if you're used to day in, day out, getting in a car, commuting, going to an office building, getting in the office, doing your job, coming home, and then all of a sudden that's completely blown up and now you're in your house and you see how your house interacts daily with the changes. Of course, if you're a bright entrepreneur spirit, things are gonna start popping in your head of thinking, 
well, wait, if I'm here and I'm doing this and I'm having this difficulty, I'm sure there are other people. And so it's basically created this starting ground for all of these different great brains and thought processes to come up with solutions. 100%. So, so David, it'd be interesting to see, and I'm sure we could find the stats somewhere, to actually see if we could break this down to see what are all the industries Sure. You know, is it all the typical ones or are we seeing some some new opportunities, some older opportunities re-emerging again? I think we need to ask the team to get on that. Yeah, yeah. I think it's a good call. I think we're going to see it divine by, by technology, certainly, uh, but then a, a widespread of businesses that are doing things differently. Again, I go back to the, the plexiglass business, home improvement. You know, some, somebody told me the other day, anybody with a pickup truck in their town is booked solid, you know, uh, people that, that, that need help with things. So a lot of businesses uh, seeing this as a time where they're innovating, they're growing, they're doing things differently. David, do you see this as a business as far as, because I know this is happening a lot where I'm at, that because of the upheaval in the educational system right now, there's a lot of different groups getting put together and building basically small homeschool businesses right. to actually operate these cohorts. Sure. I, th I think there's a, a few things happening. And I speak as a parent of three, you know, I think, I think parents are trying to figure out how do we do it now? So I know in our area that there are cohorts of folks and even teachers that are helping mm -hmm. people out now and doing tutoring and things like that. Um, you know, some folks saying, hey, we're going to put our, our children in a different school. I think there are a lot of different things happening, you know, for uh, for those that, um, you know, are trying to figure out how do we continue things on uh, yeah. relative to, to, to I school. know that that's a big business thing here that has has changed substantially yeah. is actually running an operation of small cohorts of schools. Not surprising. Yeah. 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 And, and, I, and, I, and I think the, you know, I'm not one thing, you know, the, the complete world's going to do it 180, but I think a lot of this is going to stick around. I think yeah. that parents are going to see there are different options or, you know, in a business, there is an opportunity to, to capitalize on this. And back to your point, Tom, some of the best businesses that we use today were, were created in the, you know, the downturn of 2008. Absolutely. So, so speaking of the downturn of 2008, let's talk about the housing market and real estate specifically. And I know forbearance and other factors are going to come into play. So let's jump back into the slides. Yeah. I know that housing market recovering index is going to be one that everybody needs to take this slide, take it, screenshot it, post it, do a video about it, put it in your email. You need to scream it from the rooftops, my friends. Yeah. And I, before I, I hop into those slides, I want to say one thing. So we're going to go through a couple of things here. We're going to do an update really on our business. We're going to talk about forbearance. And I'm doing it for one specific reason. I get a lot of messages, and I've talked to a lot of you, about people that are out there right now on YouTube and other places saying a crash is coming. I don't know if anybody else on this call or, you know, Tom, even if folks in the comments, you know, have seen sure. that. I'm going to give you some information of just what experts are saying to be able to have that conversation when it comes up, okay? So as we start to look at this, you know, the Housing Market Recovery Index, we started tracking this a couple of months ago. It's put out by NAR. It, it, it looks at four components of our business, demand, supply, price, and time on market. Where are we at today? We are well above where we were in the February downturn, 11.8% versus 1065 uh, on February 1st. And, you know, we kind of kind of dipped off the map in, uh, in March. And so when we look at our, our, our business across the country, very, very strong relative to the components that are measured here. Now, 
I think as we look at that, we go, okay, we, we sense that in our, in our local market, we sense that and what we're doing back to Tom tool, to your point, home has become more important to people in the last six months than I'm going to argue before the pandemic. There are things that we think about now that we didn't think about then, you know, right. and, and, and weren't concerns. Now, the interesting thing is we start to think about, okay, what's coming uh, in, in the next 12 months. So let's look at this, uh, what experts are saying right now about projections for home price appreciation. Some big moves here recently since we last talked about this. Zillow coming in saying, we think we're gonna see 7% appreciation. Uh, Ivy Zellman, Tom, who you just had on a podcast, great podcast, 5.9, almost 6% appreciation. Very bullish. Uh, hey, Freddie go down the line. I gotta jump in and interrupt because if you remember, guys, right as the pandemic was happening, Zillow came out and said minus three on home appreciation, and they've gone a ten-point swing. They were bullish before, but this is new. This is just from two weeks ago. This is new information. They're saying seven percent appreciations for someone like Janelle in California. That means ten, twelve, thirteen, depending upon your price point, double-digit appreciation. But first, Janelle, when yeah. you see these two slides. How do, you, how do you see your team, and Tom, I'm going to ask you the same question. How are you going to get the word out on this and not just sound like a, a boastful salesperson, but the educators, the, the market leaders that you are? How do you see taking those data points and actually getting them into play in the market? Well, I think it's important for people to understand why those appreciations exist right now, right? Because if you look at it from truly an analytical perspective, a financial perspective, not all of these points line up to make this make sense, but it yep. makes sense because the Fed is supplying this right. scenario, right? So I think we need to counsel appropriately to say all of this information and these numbers make perfect sense at, under the status quo, as long as the Fed keeps funding it. Correct. If the Fed decides to retract or change course in any way, shape or form, then it's anybody's guess as to what any of these numbers are actually going to look at. So I would counsel a seller to say, look, we always talk about nobody has a crystal ball, but we do know what we know now. It is in everybody's best interest for the Fed to keep funding, to keep the, keep the economic climate in check. And so with that going on, sellers, you have a unique option right now to capitalize on your investment. So if you are in a situation where you were planning or thinking of moving in the next year or two, and it is not within this immediate area, you may want to consider that right now. If you are in a price point that can really truly at such point reach a ceiling. So let's talk about the condo and townhome market, because to a certain extent, that is going to reach a certain ceiling and then get a little pushback. Find yourself, sell that property, capitalize on that investment, look at possibly going into a short-term rental for a little bit, and then capitalize on your next big home that you want to purchase. Um, so, and if you're a buyer, that's a totally different perspective. Um, you know, and I don't want to take over the whole thing, so I'll let Tom kind of um, talk a little bit from, from that perspective, but, you know, the vast majority of ours is listing, so that's the conversation that we're having in, in place with that. And if their concern is, well, will I leave money on the table because in a year I might've gained five more percent appreciation? It's an insurance policy, right? 
You do what you do, what you know now at this given point in time, based on your current circumstances of need. And then the rest of the world plays out the way that it's going to play out. But if you're buying something to bank on a 5% or 7% appreciation, and you have to have that happen, I would tell you to really question that again, because this whole situation is Fed driven right now. Tommy, what are you thinking? Well, awesome stuff by Janelle, number one. I mean, that, that is so on point. I hope people were writing that down. Um, the, the, other, the other considerations that I see, and you mentioned about the buy side, Janelle. So if you're upsizing, you're going to save a lot of money on your payment. That's how people buy homes. And, and it is Fed driven. So if you're going to that 20-year property, you're getting three and an eighth on a jumbo loan, which is a big deal in our market here. Like That is saved money, right? So you're getting into a home maybe you couldn't afford. And if you're selling that lower price property, the perfect storm here, and, and something that hasn't been mentioned, is the millennial home buyers that didn't buy anything forever. And now they're all having families, having kids. They're moving, out, at least in my market, they're moving out of Philadelphia. They're coming to the suburbs. So now you've got even more demand for that like trade-up first-time buyer property. So if you look at the flow of home ownership, first purchase, trade-up, premium, the trade up to premium, that's where you can win, even if you're not looking to cash out because you're getting a lower payment. It's a lot more affordable. And maybe you have a little extra money to put down to hit that 20% scenario. So absolutely right what Janelle's saying. And I would even take it a step further and talk about this unique trend of the millennial generation not owning real estate and now getting into ownership because of everything that happened because of the pandemic. Right. So Tom, what's interesting is two things. First, I'm looking at Tristan, who's over there watching the show, and he's like, "Yeah, that's 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 my wife and I." Yes, <laughs> the next move, right? We can get even more. In my interview with Ivy Zellman, if you guys didn't catch it, it was last week on my podcast. She basically said, "You need to go to your clients and 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 kind of hold them by the shoulders and say, listen to me. If you're watching the 10-year Treasury, she's forecasting at the end of next year, the 10-year Treasury goes up, which means interest rates go up. And she said, and the only reason that's happening is because the economy has normalized and she knows that there may or may not be a different president. She knows all that. She's still saying that's what's going to happen. And, and her message, Janelle, interestingly enough, was you need to say to anybody, if, you, if you're thinking about doing something in the next two years or three years, she said, you need to start talking about payments. Mm -hmm. Because if you do it today at three and an eighth, if you do it today at you know 2.85 because you bought down the rate versus doing the same property at 4.2, what's the difference? And that rate conversation price point of your payments, she said, that's the dialogue. You got to start, hey, you could totally wait. It's completely fine. I understand you're feeling the pressure and prices are going up and you're feeling, but let me tell you what happens when the rates go back up. She's saying we've got basically 2021 and then the scary part, and David, I love your insight on this. She said the scary part's going to be what happens in the next five to seven years when all these people own these homes at 2.25, three, and now they're like, hey, I want to move again and I'm going to buy that move up house and the interest rate is four and a half percent. Right. She said, I, she said I, I'm predicting, and so you guys can go back and listen to the Ivy interview. She says, I'm predicting that group that's buying right now at these rates will be locked in for a very long time. Because again, we're seeing historic low rates. So it's it's that balance, like Tom, like you're saying, and Janelle, you're saying, we can't come across like the salesperson. We gotta be the educator. But I wanna know from a marketing standpoint, you both were kind of talking from a marketing standpoint, how do you get this information out? 
What are you going to do? Hey, it's Tom Ferry. Question, what's your favorite social media platform? Are you big on Insta? Do you love to tweet? No matter where you answer, I'd love for you to connect with me there. All you got to do is just type in at Tom Ferry and follow and let's you and I connect. I want to be able to deliver the right content, the right ideas, the ways to help you grow your business, stay fired up, keep moving, be in action and run plays that work and the platform that matters most to you. So subscribe and I'll see you there soon. Well, I'll jump in. Um, so I already know what I'm going to do. And hopefully Tom's on the same page. This is a video you put out. Consumer yep. knowledge. I mean, this is I'm literally taking notes here. And if you've been thinking about making an upgrade in the next two, three years, do you want to save on your payment now? Or do you want to wait and buy it maybe the same price point and still have it cost you more money? Like right. it's that simple. And do some case studies. Like pull out, like show some examples of people who, have had that extra demand. They get those multiple offers on their property where maybe that's not happening in a year. And, you know, they, they hit that perfect storm because that's what this is for move up. This, I mean, I've been doing this 20 years and this is the perfect storm to make a move up. I mean, hell, I did it myself. I mean, that's that. I mean, that's a message you need to put out there. So to me, it's as simple as putting it out there. And then when the objections come up, being ready to have that exact same conversation over and over and over again, because the objection is not, Hey, I'm not doing this. It's, I got a question about what's best for me and my family. Right. And, and they're trying to time the market. So Janelle, from a marketing standpoint, Tom's right. Cause Tom does a lot of videos. He's going to yeah. do a video. He's going to push it out, promote it. What are you thinking about? So, you know, I would agree with Tom, but I, I would actually fascinate it more to a person with a slide presentation, because the one thing that I've noted is you can sit here and you can listen to people talk and maybe you're looking at your phone while you're listening to somebody talk. But if you literally put numbers right in front of somebody's face yep. and say, you bought this house for $800,000, today your mortgage payment would be this. You bought this house in a year at $750,000 and your mortgage interest is this. This is what your payment is, right? It completely it completely goes against what the thought process is that most people have is, oh, well, I want to time it because I think the market's going to come down and then I can save money. In actuality, they're not. They're going to be paying more for the same thing, exactly to what Tom said. But a lot of people literally need to see that in black and white, big, bold letters to have it sink into that. So we do, we do a lot of direct mail marketing as well, too. So I would put it in from that platform. And, you know, you, you can run this from two different directions. You can take it from a seller's perspective to say, if you were waiting for that time that you wished you would have taken advantage of last time and gotten the most out of your mar money before the market went down, maybe this is your time. Yes. And then on the flip side for buyers waiting for the market to save you money question whether now is the time to do that or not, because the pen and price is not necessarily what's going to take money out of your pocket every month. Right. You literally, you literally said that like it was the headline of a direct mail postcard. I love that. <laughs> so, so for my friends out there watching, um, if you feel it's appropriate, some hearts and some likes for having these two rockstar agents sharing their perspective. And then David, I know we got a, we got one more slide to talk about housing. And it's this one. So let's jump back in and then I want to get right into forbearance, but I want to just see how the response on Facebook is. So if you're liking this, give us some hearts, give us some likes, especially for Tom and Janelle sharing today. So yeah, this, this slide here, Tom, you know, shows what you just mentioned a few minutes ago, the dramatic change, you know, in, in these forecasts, 
You mentioned Zillow going from 3% depreciation originally, you know, in the pandemic to now 7% appreciation. Uh, and you can see on down the line there. And, and, and you know, th why is this important right now is, is I'm going to go back to what I, what I said before in, in the fact that people are calling for housing crash, calling for depreciation going into next year. It's that line of, I appreciate you feel that way. And I, and I want to talk more about that. Tell me where you're hearing that from. Right. And bringing in the facts of what, uh, of what experts uh, across the country are saying. Right. So let's talk forbearance. Because this is, I mean, I was, I was pleased, but I'm also nervous because you guys added a couple slides that I had questions about. So for all my friends out there, you know, forbearance is a, is a very real thing. We've got some very important data. So this is probably that moment that if you haven't gone to tomferry.com forward slash, or no, mykcm.com forward slash Tom Ferry, you're going to want to download these slides, especially these next few, because this is on the minds of people. Everyone is saying the same thing, David. I'm out in Vegas just you know, last weekend in a golf tournament. Oh, oh yeah, Tom, you're that real estate guy. Hey man, I hear the whole world is about to go back into the foreclosure market. Mm -hmm. Well, what about the forbearance? Everyone, everyone's not making their payments. And I'm like, okay, slow down 38 year old who knows everything. Like, let me, I'll, I'll send you some slides. So, so David, take it away and then Janelle and Tom, let's jump in and let's let's just keep the same banter going. So yeah, yeah. So let's let's talk about that. Let me let me set this up because I think there are a couple things happening. We're seeing some interesting things that I'm going to share with you in forbearance. Uh, you know, the driver of this, I'm going to say, uh, is unemployment. That's where these questions come from. A lot of people out of jobs. We have we have forbearance, which we didn't have back in the housing crash to you know help people weather the storm. Real, uh, you know, relative or uh, related to their housing. And, uh, and there are some questions to answer. Now, now I want to say this, at KCM, we're following this. I think the thing we want to look at into the future is how do we continue to see unemployment come down, forbearance come down? And the, the danger is, you know, do we stall out at some point, you know, but, but let's look at the numbers and, and let's kind of go through that. So I think as we start off here, I'm going to share uh, the number of mortgages and active forbearance and that number is decreasing. So for the last couple of weeks, we've seen a significant decrease. You know, if we, we go back to, you see on the far left there in May, you know, knocking on the door of, of 5 million people in forbearance. Now we sit just under 3 million. So significant decrease. We want to see people uh, continue to, uh, to, to come out of forbearance. And we're going to talk about those that are coming out and what that looks like. But in the literal number of people in forbearance and the percentage of people in overall forbearance, we're seeing that start to come down. You see in May, uh, the height there at eight and a half percent of folks in, in, uh, in forbearance now to 6.3 uh, in October in the latest number. So we're starting to see that come down, want to see it come down more. Uh, but, but, but the question becomes, what happens as people come out of forbearance? I would argue that in a lot of the things that people have reached out, the YouTube videos that I've seen is, hey, this wave is coming. And I wanna give you some information to help you make sense of it. Just like you said, you know, at the golf tournament uh, that, that somebody came up to you. So let's, let's unpack this a little bit here. Of the 5,289,000 families granted forbearance, this is what happened 
upon expiration of the plan as of uh, Black Knight data as of September 22nd. So uh, 2.8 million roughly extended their forbearance. Now I go back to this, the CFPB plan for extension, 180 days initially, you could ask for another 180 days for a total of 360 days. So 2.8 million ask for that extension. 41%, you see that number at the bottom of the slide, either were removed while performing. That means they took out forbearance, but they continued to make their payment. They just kind of said, I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and opt for it, but I'm going to make my payment. Or they literally paid their mortgage off during that time. Okay, David, before you go any further, that is, uh, this is what I asked for. This is such yeah. an important distinction, my friends, because everyone says, but it's five point, you know, 5.2 million. And I'm like, a lot of those people kept making their payments. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people just right. hit the button because it was so easy on Wells, Chase, B and A, who you were with. They hit the button and they continued to make payments. So let's go. Let's go back to the slides and I talk about the last two, and then I want to get Janelle and, and Tom's opinion on this. So yeah, I think that I want to go back to that point. It's what Janelle said earlier. It's the it's the individual that says I don't know exactly what's going to happen, so I'm going to take this out as an insurance policy, right? And we know. 41% of those came out, they were paying or they literally paid off the mortgage. 267,000, the gray bar you see there, expired while delinquent and then are in some form of workout with their bank. Remember we talked about this on the front and we said, after the housing crash, the bank does not want these homes back. They will, I believe, do what they can to help people stay in their homes. And then you see the, the bar at the far right, 54,000 expired while delinquent. Now that is going to be some form of the people that are at risk for foreclosure. That's going to be, you know, some type of distress sale, maybe foreclosure, maybe they sell the home. And I'm going to talk about those people in just a minute, but that gives you perspective to, to your point, Tom, of like 5.2 million people in forbearance, every one of them is going to go into foreclosure. No, it's just simply not true. Yeah. And remember my friends, there's 128 million homes in the U.S., and you've got 42% of them that have no loan. And right. you know, Ivy and I were chatting about this, Dave, and you'll appreciate it. It's you know, 77 million-ish homes. And of that group, what, 10% of them have less than 10%? I don't want to misquote the number. I know there's a slide in here, but 90% of them have so much equity in their property. If they were in this position, they would simply put it on the market, sell, take the money, and go do something else. Yeah. Tom, Janelle, when you when you hear all that, what, what goes through your mind? Give me the, going back to this slide, yeah. what are you thinking? Well, I think, you know, exactly kind of what David said. I, I believe the blue graph was really an insurance policy for a lot of people. They were really uncertain and there was an opportunity similar to business owners that had an opportunity to get PPP. Whether they were going to need it or not, it was an insurance policy to make sure that they, if they needed it, they would have that capability of executing on it. Um, you know, and it's, it's always good to have a safety net. So that doesn't surprise me that there was a large percentage of people that took it as an insurance policy, fortunately ended up not needing it um, and were able to continue on with their payments. I think the green graph I would question, was that people that truly paid off their mortgage or were those people that realized, you know what, I'm not, I'm not gonna be able to make it this payment anymore. It's best for me just to take advantage of the market and sell it. Um, it certainly could be people in that. It's a great point, Janelle. Yeah. But, but but let's let's distinguish that. It, they didn't turn into a distressed sale, right? Correct. They did, did what we said exactly. they would do. They would sell because they have equity. Exactly. And I think that is what becomes in question of the big orange graph, right? Because we've truly seen so much, at least in our market, we've seen so much appreciation 
from March until now that for the extended forbearance graph. Mm -hmm. I think the question needs to be brought to light of, okay, after a certain point in time, after six months, after nine months, after a year, you've really got to question if this is really a financial decision that you should be holding on to this property anymore, especially when you have the capability of getting out with equity in your home versus being in a distressed financial situation with your home, right? Yeah. And I think the problem is most of the public looks at this information and sees these high numbers of forbearance, but doesn't have the overall picture of what that property purchase was versus how much equity is there versus the capability of them being able to come out of it fully whole and not going into a situation where they are in the hole and having to do a short sale or a foreclosure situation. Yeah, yeah. I, I wanna hop in here and say one thing of this, uh, of that data, because you bring up a really good point, Janelle. What I would hate for somebody to hear out of this information is, hey, everything's all right. We don't need to be worried about this. We don't need to talk about it. And, and it couldn't be any different from that, from my perspective, we need to be talking about this. There are people that are going to need to do things and we need to bring that information to the market. And that's where I think, you know, I'd, I'd love to hear you. Go. How do you bring this to the market? There's even data to suggest right now, there are people that are delinquent that aren't in forbearance. And, and we need to be talking to those people too and saying, Hey, if, if you need help with this, let us help you through it because there are options today that weren't around back, you know, in the housing crash due to equity, due to all the things that we know. Tom, I can't help but ask, I mean, as a, a great prospector, marketeer, salesperson, you know, public access to this data where you can go in and start directly reaching out and seeing if you can help people. Are you thinking that? Like, where, where's your mind going with all this? Well, yeah, I mean, there, there, there's a lot of ways to get in touch with those folks, right? I mean, you can you can get really aggressive. You're going to start working NODs and 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 that sort of thing. And and more importantly, a lot of people don't know they have options. I mean, you know, Janelle mentioned it, David. They don't know that they can get a short sale, and that you know, a short sale may not be that bad. People hear that, and there's a stigma attached to it. But they're you know, or if they have equity in the home and they just let that go away because they're afraid about making payments. I mean, that that's not a good financial decision, uh, period, uh, no matter what the what the situation is. And, you know, there, pride is a real thing. People don't like getting in those situations. So, you know, being the knowledge broker, right? I mean, we've been talking about this a lot and also understanding what the options are. Like, if you're really going to help people, you've got to know, hey, this is how it works. I've got someone that can help you that's where it's really important. A lot of agents don't take the time to understand this. And that's where self-education is going to be really important because I can't tell you how many homes I see, like not so much now, but in the past 18 months, they expire from the market. They're a short sale and the agent didn't know how to handle the short sale. And all of a sudden you put them in touch with the right person. These people don't have a, uh, you know, a, a default judgment against them. I mean, they're, you know, that's what helping people's all about. It's right. giving them the hard news, even though they may not like it, but it's what they need to hear. And that's what a great agent does. And Tom, to your point, and providing an alternative, a solution. It's, it's care confrontation. I care, I can help, I've got options for you. What you don't want to do is just see these people lose themselves, right? Lose their life, lose their livelihood. So, so being mindful of time, David, I know the next two slides are important, but really that the one beyond this quote. So let's jump back in, share this, because I really want to get to this slide. Yeah, let's... Um... 
let me go back to that quote. I was, I was hopping over that uh, when, when you were talking, but let me go to that and show people, then we'll, we'll, we'll go through this. So quote here uh, from Rick from Realty Track: we'll certainly see more repossessions by lenders once a foreclosure moratoria has ended, but maybe not as many as people might expect. Given the record amount of homeowner equity, it seems likely that many homeowners in financial distress will opt to take advantage of stronger demand among homebuyers and sell their property rather than risking it foreclosure. Again, I would underscore that with our job today is to get the word out there so they know they, they have options. Now, this next slide is the way we want to look at, Janelle, you asked about it. We need to be looking at the 2.8 million people that are in forbearance. Now, I'm going to give this to you um, of distribution of loans in active forbearance by combined loan to value, okay, in the in the. The, the, the quick answer there is 91% of these loans have at least 11% equity. And you is. can see across the bottom how they shake out. There's, there's, there's a, a small portion that are even underwater. 1% are. We need to acknowledge that. But when we look at the numbers, you see the financial and equity strength of these homeowners which again goes back to, to, to the options they have to sell their home versus do something else uh, in, in the situation. So I think this gives us a, a view into what's going on with those that are in active forbearance that we can say, okay, I can have a conversation with somebody that says, I just saw a, an article or a, a video on YouTube saying, you know, everybody in forbearance is going to go into foreclosure. Not true, but I think there are some things that we need to look at in our business to be able to get the uh, the message out and serve these uh, these individuals, these families that are in uh, you know potentially going uh, into into foreclosure or going to lose their homes. I agree. I agree. So being mindful of time, let's show them that last Ivy slide, and then let's get into the listing portion of this, right, and drive this thing home. So absolutely, I love, I love this quote. I think it was just right off my podcast. <laughs> it was. It was. So. If you haven't listened to the Ivy Zellman interview that Todd did, uh, Tom did it very, very good. The likelihood of us having a foreclosure crisis again is about 0% is what Ivy Zellman said. So uh, a great listen there relative to the facts around uh, foreclosure. Love it. So let's talk, let's talk listing inventory. Absolutely. Show out with inventory. Yeah, I want to give you give you some perspective on the data there around inventory and, and a couple of ideas. And I think it's really um, Tom and Janelle where, where you guys are going to be able to, 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 to hop in on this. Um, I'll start with a quote here from Mark Fleming from First American Rapid House Price Appreciation and its impact on existing and first time home buyers will persist until the supply and demand imbalance begins to improve. In the game of musical chairs, it's clear that a housing market needs more chairs. Okay, so what do we know um, about the market right now relative to inventory? We know a couple of things. Builder confidence at an all-time high. Builders saying, hey, we're seeing more demand. New home uh, sales are up. Uh, we're seeing more and more people say, hey, we, we want to build a home. We want to you know, choose what, what we want in a home. Home has become more important to us, and they are bringing inventory to market. A at the same time, we know nationally across the country we are losing inventory. Literally, homes are being purchased as quick, if not quicker, uh, than we bring them to market. So I would say, based purely on the data right now, um, the number one reason not to wait until next year 
is that the, the supply of listings will increase substantially entering the new year, including you know, not only new construction, but those that say, okay, I feel like I can safely put my home on the market at some point. Those that say, hey, we are going to take advantage of the time to sell right now, the time to buy, and, 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 and helping sellers understand this could lower the demand for their home. So a couple of pieces of information on that. Uh, if we go back and look at inventories uh, levels this time last year, you see December, January, we, we kind of dip down and then we start to come back up in March. We hit April and obviously shelter in order and lock down in place and, and continue to grow up through May and start to make this, this uh, you know, step down as we go through the summer and people are literally buying homes faster than they come to market. So what does that, what does that mean? Most folks are going to wait, we know, till the spring to bring a home to market. Uh, we know that right now we're dipping down with low inventory. You want to sell something uh, as there are fewer of that thing on the market. And I want to give you this last slide that I hope helps articulate and give you a visual representation uh, of maybe the sweet spot, but even the sweeter spot where we are right now in, uh, in selling a home. You see the sweet spot there originally in January, February of this year when there's you know, inventories dipped down, but this gives you just a look at where we are right now relative to inventory and literally the lack across the country of available homes on the market uh, for those that want to buy them. Tom, Tom and Janelle, you look at this, we're looking at 2.6, 2.7 months supply of inventory across the country, right? I mean, this is, it's nuts. So, so that was a lot of information, by the way, right, David. Yeah. Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go ladies first, just being polite. Janelle, I have all five of those slides in front yeah. of me. The number one reason not to wait, inventory existing levels, the builder confidence, uh, you know, the sweet spot slide. What, what, what's going through that brilliant mind of yours? What are you thinking? What do we need to know? And what should we do with this information? Well, so let me start with the builder confidence. Um, as we know, everyone loves shiny pennies. They love brand new construction, right? Um, where I'm situated, we have a lack of newer construction unless you're in a very strategic area of Orange County but on the outskirts suburban area, there is really not a lot of newer construction. Yep. So that does drive that entity of people purchasing older homes on larger lots and rebuilding. Um, but you have to also look at the cost of goods right now. Across the board, it's costing builders more money to build product. Yep. So where we're finding, at least where we're at, it makes more sense in more of a luxury market to do that because the cost of goods have gone up, but they can get a higher price point for the newer construction because people are willing to pay it. Um, so that's something to kind of keep in mind. And then you're gonna see, I think, at least in our area, you're gonna see a little bit of a start of a differentiation between brand new construction versus resale. And people wanting to purchase resale, but make it look like brand new construction. Um, on the side of the inventory levels, there was, the slide where it shows, you know, when we're last two months, right? It still comes down to the home itself. And Tom, you probably attest to this as well. You know, most of the homes, if you're in cookie cutter neighborhoods and or track homes, yes, those are there, you've got this certain amount of turnover. When you've got more custom homes on different size lots, irregular lots, um, homes built in the 1970s versus homes built in the 1990s versus homes built in the early 2000s, 
there is a little bit more of ebb and flow as far as the time on the market and pricing that's that's happening with regards to that. Um, but what we are truly finding here is if you have a home that is a home that someone can just move into and not necessarily that everything needs to be done, but maybe paint carpet or for the most part can move in, you're getting astronomically higher prices, especially homes with pools, because keep in mind I'm in Southern California. So a home with a pool and that you can practically move in is exponentially higher than those that don't. Because one, they can roll it into the current mortgage rates right now. They don't have to take money out of pocket for the cost of goods. And like Tom said, people are really paying attention to this isn't the house that I'm going to be in for the next two to five years. This is the house that I'm going to be in for the next 20 years. So what are all of those things that I want to have in a property and being very mindful and picky of that. But I also think this inventory, I don't know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go on the record and say this. I think we have a lot of people who have had a mind shift change and are going to stay in their homes if they've realized their home work for them. And instead of buying, they're gonna invest in their own home and they're gonna remodel and do things in their own home. So I don't know that this surge of inventory is going to come from the idea of we want to move to something bigger and better. So we're going to sell this. I think we're going to have a large enough population that is happy enough with what they have. They just cosmetically want to change things and are so they're going to refi and they're going to stay put where I think we're going to get that movement sector is to Tom's point is the younger generation that never bought the town home or never bought the smaller single family residence and is going to wait until they're now going to buy the home that they're not planning on moving from unless something happens. Interesting insights. I like the perspective. Tom Toole, what are you thinking? So we have even less new construction than you do in California. So, I mean, there, there's literally like, you got to go out to like the, the farmlands in the middle of the state or transitional neighborhoods in the city like where people don't normally live like it's not Rittenhouse Square or you know whatever you would, would whatever you guys equate it to so um, that that's number one I think that's a great point and that's one of the drivers on inventory is that you know, we just don't have new construction here so people get attracted to those rehab properties and, and there's a difference in architecture and all those sort of things that being said I, I, I love what um, Janelle had said there and and I'm clear where the inventory spike is going to come from is the people that were scared is the people that were maybe downsizing and they were concerned about going to a retirement community where those places got ravaged, right? I mean, I had a few sellers that have paused for that. I'm still talking to them and they're hanging tight and that's okay and we support that. That's where the inventory is gonna come from. Um, it's gonna be those people that are maybe the downsizers that creates that move up opportunity that they don't need the 4,500 square foot home because there's two people there. So those are the people that are hesitating a little bit. I, I, so I, I do agree with what, what Janelle's saying. If they can make it work, they will. At the same time, there's some people that just, they want to cut down on their costs. They're, mind, they're mindful of their budget. What's it take to maintain a property? Do I want to be spending four or five days a week maintaining the lawn on an acre property? I mean, that's the kind of stuff that, that, that's going to happen. So to me, it always is motivation. That's what carried me through that 2008 to 2012 period. How motivated and not they want to sell, but it's like an estate a divorce. They yeah. have three kids in a three bedroom home. Like those are the people that are going to be the ones moving. So 
that's the ones that can, can take advantage. And if you see someone to what we talked about earlier, they're thinking like two years down the line, maybe they just had a newborn. They're waiting until she's three, you know, do it now. Like, don't wait because that kid's only going to get bigger. I mean, I know, you know Janelle's got kids. I got kids too. I mean, Tom, you know, I mean, we all know what happens, right? So I, to me, that's what I see happening. It's that hesitation or that fear. And maybe there was some insecurity around their job too. That's the other thing people aren't talking enough about. Mm-hmm. So as things kind of calm down, because we're starting to see, at least in our state, that people are learning to live with what's going on right now. And that wasn't the case in the spring. So a lot of people who were gearing up for the spring market this year, they're going to be ready for next year because they yeah. see that people are learning to live with it. And there's, you know, an education factor in vaccines and all these other things that are getting people to learn to live with what's going on, because that, that to me is, is, is the biggest thing. And that's, again, coming from someone that was in the most restricted state in the country. So they're, they're, I agree with a lot of what, what she's saying there. And I'm clear the inventory is going to come from the people that were scared or they don't feel it's safe or they don't know their plans yet. Or maybe they're moving out of state too. I mean, we have a lot of people leaving Pennsylvania. A lot of people are leaving California. A lot of people so, leaving California. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, so hello. I, know, I mean, this, so th- these are the things that you got to look for. I mean, I think it's going to be that motivation and some sort of life event that causes the move. That's where the inventory is going to come from. Yeah, I, I want to add one thing in there. And Janelle, I think you make a, a very good point in that. The one thing I can tell you from the data shows us this year, that there were a lot of people this year that made a decision not to list their home. That is what I can tell you absolutely in the data of it. Now, the question is, as we start to turn the corner, as we start to hear things about, Tom, you mentioned, you know, whatever it be, a vaccine or therapeutics, where people feel safer or they say we can do it or they make a different decision, we feel confident in our job, do those people then go, hey, we now are going to list a home. We are going to make that move and, and feel confident in it. That's the interesting thing that, that the purely the numbers show us. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I got to tell you, my friends, for my friends out there watching, this was a really fun show, bringing in two rock star agents, getting their perspective. Uh, you know, Tom, I know it's, you know, whatever time it is on the East Coast with you and David, very grateful for you, my friend, for jumping in. Janelle, you get to now race back to the beach, be with your kids. Thank you. So thank you guys so much. Um, David, kind of closing thoughts. I mean, outside of my friends that are watching, uh, you know, mykcm.com forward slash Tom Ferry for all these slides and more. Um, we will be back in two weeks. We don't know what time it's going to be. We will notify you in all the typical channels, but make sure you share this message with a friend or two. I, I just, I can't stress enough. There's so many people I talk to that as you all do too, that are negative or are just simply misinformed and they're in their head. And if you're in your head, you're dead in this market. I mean, for agents, the streets are paved with gold right now. All you have to do is make more phone calls, book more appointments and help more clients and solve more problems. And when you do that, you're gonna kill it because the market will change, right? And whether it's the end of 2021 or the beginning of 2022 or the middle of 2021, what I know is this, those that wait on this are going to suffer. Get out of your head, get on the phone, talk to more people, you will win. David, closing thoughts? You know, I think the um, here's what's in my head right now. We're going to be back in two weeks. In just a few weeks, uh, we're going to see an election, you know. So my, here would be my message. Our team, our seven researchers, writers, all the great folks at Keeping Current Matters are staying on top of what's happening. I'm going to argue we're coming up on weeks where you want to have the facts, the data, the information to be the knowledge broker. So uh, so, so stay, stay tuned in, stay with us on that. And we're going to bring that to you. 
over the next few weeks. And Tom, we can even, you know, go and do a different sequence. We'll come back more frequently, whatever we need to do, but we want to keep everybody uh, up to date on everything that's happening. That's our goal. Yep, 100%. All right, my friends, my my dear friends and clients, thank you for joining us. Everybody else, to work. We'll see you guys soon. Thanks, guys. See ya. If you want more information about this episode, including my show notes, mentions, links, and everything else, make sure you visit tomferry.com slash podcast. That's tomferry.com slash podcast. Thanks again and talk to you soon.